0: Let us pray. O oh Lord our God, give us the heart, give us the spirit, give us the openness to hear about who you are today. We ask, dear Lord, that you would touch us in places today where we've never been touched before. We pray, Almighty God, that you direct our thoughts and captivate our spirits. And I pray most earnestly that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be acceptable to you, for you are our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, the passage that John just read is about a couple of men who are being featured, and these two guys thought that they wanted John the Baptist more than anything else, In life, they were his disciples. He was their leader. He was their guide. He was their truth. And they had actually realigned their entire lives to follow him because he was their hope. And they were his disciples. And he said to them something so radical that they couldn't even take it in yet. He said, There was someone that you really do need to follow and you really do need to pattern your life around, but it's not me. I'm not fit to tie his sandals. My role, John told them in a million different ways is not to obtain your devotion, your devotion to me. My role is to prepare you for him. It was John's reason for existence. It was to prepare the people for the one to come. John the Baptist washed away their sins in baptism and urged them to repent. And as we know, repentance means turning toward God. And if we turn away from God, we cannot see God. John the Baptist was infused with the Holy Spirit. He knew that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God. In other words, he knew that Jesus Christ was the blood sacrifice that God will provide, a sacrifice who actually is God, who will take away our sins. Then the passage goes on to say, John was with two of his disciples when Jesus himself passed by. And he said, look, there is the Lamb of God. And the two disciples followed Christ. And we don't have all of the details about what this was. But we've seen it again and again in scripture. Where somehow people feel compelled to follow Christ. I don't know if there was something about what he emitted. What his facial expression said. The way his being. Something drew them to him. They dropped everything. They followed him. And then Jesus turned around because he was incredibly keyed into people. And he said, and he asked, what do you want? And in another translation, what are you looking for? Jesus took the initiative in asking this question. Yes, they followed, but Jesus took the initiative. When we baptize a child, we are taking the initiative so that the child can follow Christ and therefore Christ can take the initiative. When Jesus asks, what do you want? What are you looking for? This is not a merely polite question. This isn't like when we see each other in the grocery store and say, hi, how are you doing? How are you? This was much more intense. He was not looking for the immediate off-the-cuff answer. If we are to respond to this question, and you know, Christ actually does ask us this question. The closer we get to him, the more we realize the question is like a drumbeat. What do you really want? What do you want? And we do have immediate responses to this question and I think we need to work through this right now. Off the top of your head if you were asked what do you want? That's not exactly what Christ is looking for but that doesn't mean it's not true. Many of us would say we want our children to be healthy and happy. Yes, that's true. We want world peace. Yes, that's true. We want good health. We want to be happy. But what do we want when we engage our full humanity and our dark side? What do we really want when we look honestly at ourselves and all that we are as a human with all of our hurts, all of our anguishes? We want justice. We want to be vindicated. And then the Holy Spirit reminds us of something. You know what? If there were true justice from God in this world, every single one of us would be dead in our sins. Every one of us. We want our hurt to be noticed. We want our wounds to be noticed. We want this desperately. And part of us knows, but part of us doesn't, that when we come to Christ with our wounds and our hurts, what he sees is incredible. He understands our wounds and our hurts better than we do. And the whole idea of empathy came from him because that's what he is. We want freedom from suffering, yet the Holy Spirit does let us know that it's at times of suffering and the dark night of the soul when tremendous growth and reliance on Christ takes place. You know, I have been haunted in my ministry by people wonderful godly people who seem to have died miserable deaths and finally christ let me know you have no idea how i am ministering to this person what you're seeing is the external you do not see what i am doing with their soul how i am loving them caressing them and holding them we want to be happy But is it just because we don't want certain feelings? Because if that's what we want, that's at the expense of joy and deep peace. There has been a study, many studies done by the World um, Economic Forum, by National Geographic, by Bloomberg News, by respected people who are scholars about what is the happiest place In the world where would we find geographically the happiest people and it's always Scandinavia and it's usually Denmark and it is very fascinating because what they have is no financial worry whatsoever they have no crime to speak of they have great health and fitness And they have pensions and housings and they don't work that much. It's like two weeks of work, three weeks of vacation. And then in the summer, they take the whole thing off. (laughs) They have their basic needs that are being met. They have recreation that's available. That fear of not having enough is gone. The playing field is level. Everybody is middle class. And they have a great ability to participate in the government itself. But after it was revealed that everyone was happy, these are fascinating studies, and I've got the names of them if you wanna look at them. A second level of questioning revealed something else. They wanted something deeper. Something was missing. And because it's a secular country, they said it in such a way, you know, we don't have the kind of passion that would drive us to do great art. Translated, we don't have God. That passion, that reason for existence, they knew it was empty, it was all on the surface. So what do we really, really want, folks? And what did they, the disciples, really, really want We are aching to worship God. We are aching to worship the living Christ. And we know this because of all the things that we worship that are not Christ. I was reminded earlier this week that we are aching to make a difference in this world. We are aching to leave the world better than the way we found it. We were created to do good, to contribute to peace and unity. We desperately want to be free of fear. We desperately want to know that grace is real, that we will not get what we deserve and that people we love will not get what they deserve either. We want to love and we want to be loved unconditionally and completely. And Jesus offers a divine invitation to every single one of us and he says, come and see. Come and see me. And being his disciples, his followers, it all comes together. Seven years ago, I was at my parents' 60th wedding anniversary with their original wedding party coming together from all over the country. And I want to be careful in telling you about this because I'm not describing perfection. These people weren't perfect. Their families weren't perfect. They weren't free from illness. But they came together with such a deep joy. And it's because... In the Chicago suburbs, when they were teenagers, all of them devoted their life to Christ at the same time and lived a life pointing to Christ, pointing to Christ their entire lives. And some of the people who were gathered in that room started churches and never even had enough from paycheck to paycheck their entire lives. And they were thrilled to be together. And there were some who started worldwide organizations and there were some who wrote books that you all know. And these people came together, the original wedding party, all in their 80s. And there was a time when they started singing the great hymns that they sang at Wheaton College or wherever they were. And there was not a dry eye in the place because they were doing what they loved to do best, which is praising God, praising God. We know who you are, Jesus Christ. We know who you are. And my secular nieces and nephews went, whoa. There is something there that we don't have. And what it is, is the living Christ. When Jesus says, come and you will see, it's an invitation to engage with him, to accept the truth, and this is a biggie, that he alone, Christ alone, will give us our heart's desires and make us complete In following Christ, they, the disciples, would live their lives pointing beyond themselves to Christ, and in that is the joy. So what do we want? We want our aching for God to be filled. We want our aching for the truth. We want his glory. We want him. Let us pray. You alone can convince us, dear Lord, that you are the answer, that you are the truth, that you are our reason for living. In your grace, we ask you to come and be among us and be in us. And we ask this in the powerful, powerful saving name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.